I have to uh, tell you a cute thing that happened. I enjoyed it this week. Um, they were rehearsing, and I walked through the cafe area and looked up and realized I have a name for them as a group, the Singing Moms, because two of the three have brand new babies, and they were up here rehearsing. The one on the left had the baby this way. The one on the right had the baby this way. Miranda's kids are a little bit older, and they were just rehearsing away, and the babies were just looking around. It was just too cute. Thank you for all your hard work to rehearse for us when you have little kids. Um, I think most of us would agree, unless we're just the ones who haven't had money yet, that getting money changes us. Uh, If you doubt that, you need to just um, consider a family when a grandparent or a rich relative dies and there is suddenly going to be a lot of money available to that family. The dynamics in that family change. Everyone says they won't, and that's the first statement when they hear that grandma died, but within a day or two, all the dynamics change. Lottery winners would say the same thing. Um, When they win that lottery, everything changes. Not always for the better. And we see that. We see that in families when there's an inheritance and people fight over that inheritance. Sometimes we see relationships destroyed forever because money changes people. The question today is, could money change you? Could it change me? If we became rich, would it change us? Well, we've faced the good news in this sermon series, and that is the truth is we are rich. For virtually all of us, or almost all of us sitting in this room, the truth is we are rich. We are in the top 3%, even 1% of the world's population in what we have and what we enjoy, what we take for granted, because we've had it our whole lives. The question is, is being rich changing us? And if so, how is it changing us, all this that we have? We want to look at that today. And a sense that being rich is a test. What we will do with it, what it will do to us, becomes a test for each of us. If God has made us rich, Where we are, where I happen to be born, that I was born in Illinois and not the slums of Haiti. God orchestrated some things that made me rich, made you rich. Our abilities, our talents that we use for our careers to earn our income that we're still healthy and alive and working. All of those circumstances that God has put into our lives. If he has done all of that, The why behind that, one of those purposes of God making us rich is to, in fact, test us. To see how will we handle all that he gives us. What will we do with it? What will it do to us as we have all of this that we enjoy? How will it change us? 
Jesus talks in Luke 16 about this challenge, this test that we face when we're rich. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Let me read that last sentence. If we have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? God makes us rich. He gives us worldly wealth. But what Jesus says is God has even greater things that he wants to give us. True riches. We think worldly wealth is at the top. But Jesus says the reality is there are much greater things than worldly wealth. And how much God is able to trust us with and give us of those greater riches will in part depend on how we handle the worldly wealth he does give us. Now, if you think about that, we know that to be true. Money is temporary. Now, it may last our human lifetimes, but we all joke about that phrase, you can't take it with you. But it's true. There has never been a hearse with a trailer on behind it. You can't take it with you. It is ultimately temporary. The true riches are those things which we can take with us which don't have an end time, an expiration date. They don't corrode or rot or are stolen. People, our relationship with God, situations that we live through, ways that we touch lives that last forever, all of those things are true riches. But God is looking at what we do now with what he gives us in our wealth to know how he can trust us with those other things. Well, how do you fail the prosperity test? How do you get a low score? Well, Jesus gave us a parable that said, okay, you want to know how to blow the test? Let me give you an example of a guy who got an F. Okay? So it's over in Luke 12. If you want to turn over there, I want to read the parable. You're probably familiar with it, but I'd like, it to, like to read it again. It's only, I think, because I grew up on a farm and I can just see this whole process happening on farms where I grew up in Illinois. Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, aha, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll be able to say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves themselves 
but is not rich toward God. What did being rich mean to this man? How did he handle that test? Well, his response was, all of these riches that I'm gaining are for me. So I'm going to take all of these riches and I'm going to build bigger barns so I'm more comfortable. It's all for me. The truth is, how did money change this man? It made him selfish. It made him focus on himself and ended up separating him from God. One of the things we want to talk about today is a concept called margin. God gave this man margin. What I'm talking about is when God gives us more than just that basic necessities that I need. There is this quantity of riches, whatever you might list it as, that I need to just survive. But then sometimes God gives us more than our basic necessities. He creates margin, extra, over and above those basic things, so that I don't have to take what God gives me just for me. He creates this margin so that I can, in fact, Help somebody else. Be generous. Help people on the East Coast facing a hurricane or orphans in an orphanage. It doesn't have to all flow for me. I can touch other lives. That's God's plan. We looked at that last week. God gave this man margin. A lot of margin. He didn't know what to do with all his crops. But he took it all for himself. The interesting thing in all this story is God made him rich. God wasn't mad at him for being rich. Because the story is a farmer, the truth is God made him rich. God gave him the right kind of weather. God gave him the right kind of harvest. God protected him from locusts and insects and his plants from disease and all the things that can go wrong on a farm. None of which you can control. God lined it all up so this man became very rich. It wasn't bad that he was very rich. God did it. The issue is God gave him more for a different purpose than he used it. God gave him margin so he could use it to touch others and he used it for himself. We looked last week, God was pretty upfront. Everyone who has been given much, much more will be expected. As God pours more into our lap, he says, so you can do more. I'm going to look to you to do more because I've given you more. And this farmer, he did less. And God's evaluation is, what a fool. You had a chance to take what I gave you and invest for real wealth that lasts forever. And you spent it all on yourself, on that which is temporary and won't last. And he failed the test. God is pretty clear on his expectations for us. I want to go back and read the passage we read when we started this series four weeks ago. It's an important advice from Paul 
to we who are rich. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. Paul's telling Timothy, the young preacher, this is the advice you need to give to those who are rich. So they handle it correctly as Christians. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And we're all living with that. We've seen that over the last few years. Instead, they should put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Our hope needs to be in the God who is the source of the riches, not in the riches themselves. And what do we do with those riches? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. As God gives us margin, use that margin to help others. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, for eternity, so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life. If we pass the test, if we use the riches God gives us to touch others, they gain for us true riches that last forever. Our relationship with God and his approval and blessing. That's God's expectations. We've looked at that these four weeks. But the key is margin. And that's what I want to talk a little bit more today. In the very first sermon in this series, we ask how many feel rich. And virtually all of us would say, we're not rich. And we looked at that, and part of the issue is none of us see ourselves rich because we always know of somebody who is richer. Somebody has more. They're rich. And we're, we're quite quick to produce a label of other rich people. We would just never put ourselves in that list because we know of people who have more. But I think there's another reason we don't see ourselves as rich. And that is, we've lost our margin. What I'm talking about is, like that farmer, God gives us more. But we use up that more, too. We use not only what we had or what we were used to having. He now gives us more, and we spend that, too. And so everything is still gone. And so we need more, because we spent everything. In fact, we may even need to use credit so we can get more because we think we need more and we overfill our lives. And so we end up living as if we have no margin, even though we could have margin. We live as if we have no money, we have no extra money, we have no extra time. We are overspent. And we have no margin. And if that is true, we will never feel rich. We will never feel like we can be generous, we can help others, because everything is spoken for and beyond. And we will end up like the man who built bigger barns, saying it's all gone, I've used it for me. And that's all there is. And end up missing the real riches. So how do we gain some margin? That's what I want to look at. 
How do we create margins so that we can do what God asks us to do, so that we can touch other lives and be generous and helpful people with the riches he's given us? I think there are two parts to creating margin, and this is just, in a sense, logic. We create margin, the first step is you make more. Okay? Now, I'm not going to spend much time on that because we're all experts in that. We're, we're beyond experts. We're obsessed with how to make more. Honestly, I mean, that's, we just are. How can I squeeze in some overtime? How can I move my investments and gain a quarter of a percent more over here? I mean, what can I do wisely to make more? How can I change jobs to make more? We spend lots of energy in making more. Let's spend our time on the second half. Because I think increasing our income alone will not create margin. If we spend all we have, we still have no margin. The other half is essential. And this is where we're going to go into uncharted territory. The second half is spend less. And that's what we don't spend as much time talking about. We have plenty coming in. If we want margin, we have to decrease the amount going out. Without this, without this second half, we'll never find margin in our lives. Solomon makes an observation in Proverbs 21. The wise store up choice food and olive oil. Fools gulp theirs down. Isn't that an interesting comparison? Notice what the wise people do. They store up. They don't spend everything they have. They create margin so that they can help. What do fools do? They consume everything. So at the end of the week, there's nothing left. At the end of the day, we ate it all. There's no margin. They take it all for themselves which in a sense describes what is often held up as the American lifestyle. Consume everything that we have. Which is part of the challenge for us in how do we spend less? Again, we spend lots of energy thinking about how we can earn more, not nearly as much energy in how we spend less. I think part of how we spend less is that we need to face our addiction. Can I digress for a second? Alcoholics Anonymous, and you're all familiar with them, Alcoholics Anonymous is hands down the most successful treatment program for addiction in the U.S. Has been for decades. One of the key steps in the beginning of AA is that you have to face who you are. You have to face your addiction. And so, a person in Alcoholics Anonymous will say, Hi, I'm Jim. I am an alcoholic. And they may be dry for a long time, but they will still say, Hello, I'm Jim. I'm an alcoholic. Maybe we need to do that. Not with our addiction to alcohol, but with our addiction to consuming. 
Because that is what we have been programmed to do as people living in this place in this century. We have been trained to consume. We are motivated to consume. We are marketed to consume. We are brainwashed that we need to consume. In fact, economists will regularly talk about our purchasing is the engine of our economy. Our national economy is based on us consuming more. And we need to consume to get the economy flowing. Think about that. How do we spend less when we live in that world? Well, the first step is to say, Hello, my name is Jim, and I'm addicted to consuming. Okay, we need to have a little fun here, okay? Okay, I want you to put your name in there. We're going to say that together. You could try. I know it's hard. At first AA meeting, I'm told it's hard, but you can do it, okay? Hello, my name is, and I'm addicted to consuming. There's your first step. First step to breaking the addiction. I'd want to make a little light of that. You're feeling very heavy in here, but there's some truth in that, isn't there? We are constantly told we need more. And unless we somehow get that out in the open and wrestle with that and wrestle with consuming, we'll never build margin into our lives. And God will never give us enough. We we all see that. Whatever we have and we think it's so good till the next ad comes along and I suddenly need more probably every one of us in this room currently have in our possession what if we had told ourselves 15 years ago, once you have all this, will you be happy? And we would say, oh, yeah! We're now there and we have it. Are we happy? No. Because I looked at the sale flyers before I came to church. Because I watched TV. Because the guy next to me has a newer phone or a better tablet. Or one of those new cars I saw in the ad and they drove in in front of me in the parking lot. And, and now when I get that, I'll be happy. Hello, my name is Jim and I'm addicted to consuming. <laughs> Thank you. I wanted to throw in an example. I just think this is a fascinating story. That is a picture of an early dishwasher. This is a phenomenal illustration of marketing. If you go back and read the history, when the dishwasher was first invented, they were built and marketed and totally bombed. They couldn't sell dishwashers. I know that's hard to believe because we're so addicted to them, but honestly, they couldn't sell them for two reasons. One, they had a lot of kids at home. Why spend money? I already got the kids. Let them wash the dishes. But there was a second reason. Families enjoyed that family time together around the sink, washing, drying, putting away dishes. And so nobody would buy the dishwashers. And so the companies who wanted to sell dishwashers, whether you need it or not, 
began marketing campaigns advertising, selling Americans on why you really do need a dishwasher. You just don't know you need a dishwasher yet. But I'm going to tell you why you need a dishwasher yet. And they obviously were successful. Because now we are sitting there saying, oh, the dishwasher's broken. I can't live without that. I'll just throw this out as two cents. There's a whole lot of families and marriages that are in trouble that might be healed by a broken dishwasher. Who start washing dishes together and talking and flicking water and soap suds at each other and snapping wet towels and all those things that used to happen in families before there were dishwashers. But we were sold on that. What we need to come up with is contentment instead of consumerism. That's the answer to this. That's where we need to move in our addiction. And what I'm talking about is simple things of looking in what I, instead of looking at what I don't have, look at what I do have. What do I already possess that is perfectly okay? that gets the job done, that is still working or can be repaired, it doesn't have to be thrown in recycling. It could actually be fixed. Take the opposite challenge. My wife and I don't do this enough, but we have taken this challenge for a month or two at a time. How little could you spend? Just for a month. How little could you spend? If you use that contentment issue, what could you get by without? What could you fix? What is perfectly okay? It is amazing. We were blown away by the amount of money that was different in just even a month of that different attitude. How little can we spend? It's the opposite of consuming. Not what do we have to have. So the other part of this is balance. Balance in what we need in putting margin in our lives, not just in our spending, but in our time. Because slowing down is a part of this. If we want to move to be those generous people who use our riches wisely and bless others, it requires not just margin of money. I think it requires margin of time. Some of us are so busy, we don't have time to notice that person who is struggling that we could help. We don't have time to notice the person broken down beside the road. They're just a nuisance causing a traffic jam because I'm late for my fifth appointment today. That balance is needed in our lives, not just financially but in that larger picture of our schedules and our commitments and our overloading of our lives, oftentimes because of all the stuff we have or that we can afford to do now because God has made us rich. And we end up being busy building our bigger barns for ourselves and we never use our lives and our resources for margin. I want to point you to two resources. I put one in the book, in the sermon notes. Uh, It was a very popular book a number of years ago. It's still an excellent book to read through, and that's the book Margin by Richard Swenson. 
who's actually a medical doctor living right across the river in Wisconsin. But it's a great book about how to build margin into your life in finances, in time, in commitments, so that we can be a blessing to others and have a healthy, happy life. It's interesting, we don't do a lot with spiritual disciplines anymore, but if you look traditionally, historically, through the church, one of the spiritual disciplines was the discipline of simplicity, of learning to live with contentment and what I have and not everything I could have or think I need. Today is the last day of this, the last week of this sermon series of how to be rich. Our intent was never of how to become rich. For most of us in this country, God has taken care of that. We are rich. The challenge for us is how do we be rich? How do we handle our riches? in a way that doesn't destroy our own lives and leave us empty and hollow, draw us away from God, but in a way that draws us closer to the God who gives us the riches and use those riches in a way that he is pleased with as we share his riches, as he shared them with us, and we pass them along. Knowing our security is in God, not in our riches, but the God who makes us rich. It is a test, and how we handle those riches determines if we pass the test. Let's pray. Father, these aren't feel good concepts. It's fun to think about being rich until we realize that that is not just a blessing, it's also a responsibility. But it's true, it's real. You have given us much, and you will ask us what we did with it. So I pray that you can use something we've talked about, some of these scriptures, some of Paul's advice, to honestly look at our lives and to move beyond the the brainwashing of marketing. Help us live with margin so that we can look beyond ourselves and our bigger barns and use all you've given us to help another life, to be a generous person, to be like you who have freely given so much to us. Help us pass it on.